Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. These panels have been made possible thanks to Double Exposure and their game design convention Metatopia at Metatopia Online 2020. These panels have also been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and moderators at this event. Now, let's get to it. Episode 304, Pitch Perfect, Nailing Game Presentations for Different Opportunities. Presented by Kurt Covert, Melissa Lewis Gentry, Jason Walters, and Isaac Vega. Hi everyone. Uh, thanks for coming to Pitch Perfect, uh, nailing game presentations for different opportunities. Uh, we are uh, have a presentation for you, uh, and we're going to be answering your questions. Um, so we're going to start off with everyone introducing themselves. Uh, uh, I'm going to go in order of the videos that I see on my screen. Kurt, why don't you go first? Hey there, I'm Kurt Covert, and I am the owner of Smirk and Dagger Games. Uh, and I am also a game designer as well. And I've got about 20 years of marketing experience, including pitches of all kinds of types. Great. Uh, next up I have here is Isaac Vega. Isaac, why don't you introduce yourself? Hello, everyone. My name is Isaac Vega. I'm a game designer, um, most notably known for Dead of Winter, Ashes, and my most recent release that came out this year in 2020, Forgotten Waters. Awesome, thank you. Uh, and uh, Jason Walters, why don't you please introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Jason Walters. I'm the general manager of Indie Press Revolution. Uh, we're a distributor of small press role-playing games, and I've been involved in publishing and selling role-playing games for 20 years. Awesome. And uh, my name is Melissa Lewis Gentry. I am going to be mostly acting as the moderator and try not to talk too much. Uh, those of you who've been on panels with me knows how it, knows how it goes. Uh, I am a retailer. I'm the owner of Avalon Lounge and Game Cafe, uh, and I have been a retailer in the game industry for the last six years and uh, working in events and uh, uh, running event game events for the last 12. Um, yeah, and I hope you're going to talk about that experience, too. So We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, Kurt has developed a lovely presentation for us. Uh, Kurt, why don't you start and take it away? Okay, uh, cool. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for, for joining us. Um, yeah, we're going to be talking about all the different types of presentations that you are likely um, going to need kind of in the can uh, and ready as you start thinking about pitching various constituents, because there's not just one pitch that you're going to uh, create and execute on your game. There's a whole bunch of them, and they, they vary because you're going to be talking to different audiences, and you're going to have different opportunities, different amounts of time that you're going to have to make that pitch. So kind of having that in your head and being ready for that is uh, important and help you come across really professional and have things go uh, a lot better, hopefully. So um, as I kind of said, the the audience really, really matters. Um, and critical to that is the amount of time they may have. So your pitch should reflect both the audience, the audience's interests as well as your goals for what you're trying to get out of that presentation. And that will change based on who you're talking to. For today's purposes, we're going to be talking about a number of different pitches. Um, pitching to play testers, pitching to consumers, to publishers, and to retailers. And um, a lot of what you say will end up being very similar. But for each one, you might consider a few modifications. So what are they? What should be the focus? Um, a lot of that will, will come out in what the audience themselves want out of your presentation too. So um, let's talk about a couple of those here. Now, I'm going to hit first a glossary. Um, <laughs> a, a huge caveat is that there is no official lingo uh, for any of these things, and this is not even a complete list. You're going to hear these interchanged by different people for different times. 
these particular ones that I'm outlining are for this discussion's purpose. You may hear them in different names. People will use them in different ways, but I think you'll at least get a grounding and understanding for um, the types of things you should have ready by any name. Um, so we've got the hook, the napkin pitch, the elevator pitch, a tagline, the sales pitch, and then the demo, both overview versus play. All things that you're gonna need to create um, as you start getting ready to pitch your game. So let's talk about this first one. Uh, and what I'm gonna do, the structure of this is I'm gonna give you like a quick idea of what we're talking about, give you an example, and then we're gonna talk kind of robustly as a group about it. So the hook, we have heard this term thrown around a lot. I'm sure you have too. And like, sometimes we don't even know exactly what someone means when they say, well, what's the hook of your game? Well, quite honestly, it's the one or two phrases that act as an attention getter, or at least deliver the core of what your game is about. You know, the, the most salient thing that you want me to know. It's quick and it's to the point, and it has to make me say, huh, tell me more. So to give you an example, and of course, I'm gonna be using uh, something just recently from my own catalog, um, but um, the hook for Cinder, is Cinder is a push-your-luck dice game about fantasy adventures trying to date dragons without getting burned. Now, quite honestly, this game, and it's it's kind of a rarity, was pitched to me by two designers with basically that hook. They just threw it out, and they didn't even have a game yet because they had they'd gotten so excited about the idea, they wanted to pitch it to me. I was like, well, guys, you need a game. But in any case, they almost sold me with just the hook because I was like, tell me more. So, guys, what makes a hook good? So I personally think um, one of the best things that you want to go ahead and try to encapsulate in your hook is kind of the core concept of what the players are going to experience mm -hmm. um, and the feeling that you're trying to evoke in the game. Um, so one of the things that, like, one of the most effective hooks, there was lots of different ways that we advertised out of Winner, for example. Um, but one of the most effective ones was fear the dead or uh, fear the cold, fear the dead, fear each other. So in that, it, it encapsulates everything that the players are going to try to emotionally feel in the theme of the, the game that you're trying to, to sell to them. And that alone is going to be able to make players, ooh, like what's going on here? Like, I want to, I, do I want to feel these feelings? Right. <laughs> is this an interesting thing that's going to uh, provide that kind of enjoyment for me? And that's, those few phrases alone kind of give players the experience that are already um, that they're hoping to get out of the game. Right. And it's interesting because I would almost say that starts crossing the line almost into a tagline because it's a creative execution, right? right? But right. It's, it also, it, it serves as a good hook. But because it it doesn't sound um, it, it sounds like a something that a copywriter wrote and like is a creative ex, you know execution of like you know oh ooh, it's still a tell me more but you could put that slug line on the box right mm -hmm. so yeah and like to get just give another example of some other ways that we kind of present that is like here's another uh, tagline all right a hook that we would uh, give uh, <laughs> all the terminology. I'm always yeah. terrible with them. <laughs> um, but as you struggle to keep survivors alive, how will you value group versus personal needs? You know, things like that kind of, again, kind of give you the understanding of what, what you're going to be experiencing throughout the game. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, <clears throat> uh, the only thing I have to add is it's a good idea to know who you're speaking to and with the hook and give them something that they understand and can relate to. So um, what would be a good example? Um, so the Fiasco box set came out recently, which was Jason Morningstar redid Fiasco as a card game, um, mm. which actually, you know, I haven't unfortunately worked at a convention since that happened because uh, there haven't been any uh, physical convention. But um, I showing the product to someone saying basically you are playing a coen brothers film you are uh people with poor character and uh with low character poor impulse control trying to pull off a heist go exactly what you guys are saying 
the hook should grab someone, pull them in, make them want to ask you more, make them want to look at it, uh, and they have to know what you're talking about. Right. I think I think that's actually a really good grounding too. Um, uh, sometimes people will actually reference other games, which I think you know some people debate whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Exactly. Yeah. But. Um, but giving someone something kind of familiar, they can hook their mind in and say, oh, actually, that's of interest to me. And this sounds different. So, again, tell me more. And again, yeah, tell me more. Yeah. Once you once you get someone to to say, you know, lean in farther and say, I, I want to know more. That is what makes a hook good. And that's why it's called a hook, because you are you're throwing the line out and you're sinking the hook and dragging them in. So. <laughs> Yeah, I, in my in my opinion, the best hooks imply a twist without explaining it. Um, oh, that's so, great! Uh, right there, the the hardest thing I feel as uh, someone, what, especially if you're talking about your own game that you've designed, is to remember to stop talking. Right? Mm. Uh, it's <laughs> easy to get excited, right? And I that even happens for me. It's, very much with other people's games. If it's a game that I love and I love to play, I might be a little bit verbose about it. And remembering that a good hook is something where you lay it out for other people and react, right? Like you, you want them to react to it. And if they don't have a strong reaction, um, it might be that it's not right for them or your hook is bad. Either way, um, it, following up with more pressure is not really ever going to be in your be best interest, right? Correct. Yeah. In fact, I'm so glad you said that because, um, you know, a lot of times we're like, you know, well, when do you use a hook? Like this little short snippet. Imagine someone is like, you know, coming up to your, your booth and they just paused. They didn't stop. They just kind of paused and looked. And you throw out the hook as an explanation of what they're looking at. And if they now stop and move a step closer, that's what a hook is for. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so great. Um, anything else before we just kind of move on to the next definition here? Uh, there was a question from the audience about hooks. Yeah. Um, uh, um, MNGWA says, um, uh, is it, so a good hook would be something like, quote, the drama of academia with alchemy, question mark. Do we think that would be a good hook? Yeah, I, uh, I like that yeah. a lot. That's a great hook. Yeah, um, yeah. I, of course, I immediately think you're talking about the game The Alchemists, which I love, uh, which is, uh, uh, imagine uh, publishing your grad school paper uh, in alchemy. Uh, so, absolutely, I'm into that. Yeah, and I would say that it would be helpful in that hook, um, if it's a board game or a card game, or it's got a like a, a, an easy-to-talk-about me mechanic, like I in mine, I'd said it's a push-your-luck game, like whatever. Anything that helps ground it in like, oh, what kind of experience am I having with that? So you you hooked me on your theme. Now, you know, if you just give me half a piece about the game, great. I I guess my only final comment on this would be, and this is this is more relevant to maybe the retailers that are watching than anyone else, than to say mm -hmm. a publisher or creator, is if you're in a situation where you have a lot of products in your booth, like in our booth, we have somewhere between 50 and 90 at any convention actually a vast majority of your sales work is the hook like 80 percent of what you do is delivering the hook so good hooks are completely invaluable yeah and by the way you'll be developing those as you start showing your game off you'll test out hooks like melissa was saying and you'll see what sticks what actually like gets people to say oh cool like so you're as you're pitching your game, as you're developing your game, you are also developing all the tools that we're going to show you. So, all right. I think another place that uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say I think another place where uh, hooks work really well are if you're doing any advertising in gifts um, as well, where you can throw those in there and kind of associate pictures and the words together. I mm. think that it, they can be really good ways to kind of capture attention, especially in this day and age where, um, different kind of social media apps, if you're advertising through any of those things, hooks tend to also grab you with those small animations, uh, combined. Right. Um, and I think really kind of evoke the entire, uh, theme of the game that you're trying to sell and push. And especially in that medium, 
advertising with GIFs or advertising with very short videos, having those short text bursts are going to be fantastic to have through the through line of the entire game. Right. And I think that yeah. actually sets up this next one. Um, because the next one is the napkin pitch. And the napkin pitch actually builds on the hook and it adds a few salient points to give the audience a better sense of what the game is, what the mechanics are. It's still really short. Basically, the, the reason it's called the napkin pitch is that you imagine that you can actually write the entire thing uh, legibly on a cocktail napkin. Um, and basically, it's gonna help the audience decide if it actually is something for them. You With the hook, you're like, tell me more. And now I'm starting to decide, is is this maybe something for me? So for example, again, we're gonna use the same example to see how it builds. So the napkin pitch of Cinder just adds a little bit more. Cinder's a push your luck dice game for one to five players about fantasy adventures trying to date dragons without getting burned. A lighthearted send up of dating apps like Tinder, where the more compatible you are, the better your odds. So when do we use these napkin pitches? I think, you know, talking about like uh, some of those videos is great. Um, and what do we really need to get across in those few sentences? Well, I really love what you did with Cinder where you included the player count because that's something that a lot of people want to understand before they uh, pitch the game. Um, and I think it's just, yeah, going into a little bit more depth as to not only the experience that you're gonna have, but what is actually in this box? Like, what am I going to, what am I, what am I purchasing? Giving you a little bit more details as to why there is value in the thing that you're pitching to the person. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess in my own area of expertise, uh, I would avoid when giving the napkin pitch, specifically for role-playing and storytelling games, I would at this point still avoid discussion of mechanics. Which if you uh, talk any, to people yes, that write role-playing storytelling yeah. games, they, they but like you want to let them know it's a storytelling game. Very quickly. So I would still hold off on any mechanics at this point. I have a slight disagreement there. Yeah. Um, uh, for specific instances where uh, I might say, this is a GM list, right? I might throw that oh, okay, tagline yeah. in, but, but certainly not be sure. like, you know... Um, uh, this is a, a, just because uh, the framework of um, uh, whether it's a cooperative or competitive game, board games, um, uh, whether player count, uh, in our, but in RPGs, yeah, you definitely don't want to be like, uh, this is a modification of Starfinder rules. Like, like you don't, that's not right. a napkin pitch. Right, that's, right, right. That's, Too deep. Avoid, <laughs> avoid the crunch on the napkin pitch. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, but yeah, hit, hitting any kind of broad category of mechanic that will help people understand whether that's something they enjoy. Again, then it's tell me more. You know, if if, if I know it's a take that game and I, and I hate take that games, okay, I can now walk away and you can get to the work of pitching someone else who's more interested. Um, right. So this helps filter your audience um, and and lead to more successful. Um, so, uh, go ahead. Oh, sorry, I, I think I think uh, just to add on on Melissa's point. Yeah, you're completely right. This would be a good time to say it's a GMless game in the case of role playing games, or a solo role playing game, or a diceless. This is a good time for that. Sorry about that. Yeah, you're completely correct. Yeah. Um, when I like to think about this um, in terms of like a convention setting, uh, where the where the uh, where the uh, the previous thing which is just you know like to get their attention this is like they actually stopped and you have now that extra half second and they're either going to say yeah i really want to know more about this game now and i'm ready now for your full pitch like it's almost like that kind of tipping point otherwise they're going to say oh cool uh, and then they're going to like kind of wander off um so yeah self identifying whether this is for me is really important in the napkin pitch All right. Any questions from uh, from Twitter or? I think oh people God. are sleepy. Twitch. We have a we have a, a large amount of people in the audience, but um, no one is asking any questions. That is cool. We are going to move right on. Yeah. That means we're doing a good job. All right. The elevator pitch. Okay. So this is an expanded napkin pitch. Um, imagine you are in an elevator and you've got 
two minutes before the doors open. You want to do it in a minute and a half instead of two minutes. Um, and it assumes that your audience is actually willing to take the time and hear you out. You will know that through their body language. Um, basically, you need to hit all the things that a specific, this specific audience are going to care about, and you're going to adjust this pitch a little bit accordingly. So if you're talking to a publisher, they tend to care about uh, things a little bit differently than if it is um, you know, just a, a consumer who's interested in buying a game. So um, in any case, and we're going to deal with those aspects in a bit, but let's just talk about the elevator pitch itself. I am not going to read this entire thing. Well, maybe I will. I don't know. The elevator pitch. So here is here it is. I it starts with uh, where we were. Cinder is a pusher like dice game for one to five players about fantasy players trying to date dragons without getting burned. A lighthearted setup of dating apps like Tinder, where the most compatible you are, the better your odds. Players are going to set up a custom dating profile and then thumb through potential matches, seeing if a given dragon sounds compatible. If so, meet up and say hello. If that goes well, push your luck. Take the next step. You never know. Before the date is over, you may just take things to the next level. The better the dates go, the more love points you earn, but just three flames will leave you burned and scoreless and searching for love. This game runs about 30 minutes. It really shines when people get into their character and try to explain away these horrible dice rolls in context of the date they went on. And the brilliance of the game is that the dragons are gender fluid, so they appeal to everyone equally. And the path to victory includes any dating style you like, from finding your one true love to dating a whole bunch of dragons. So basically, um, these are arguably the most important pitch to perfect to tailor to consumers and publish or publishers and retailers, because, well, in, in my view, what makes them critical is this is where you actually start converting people. Mm -hmm. This is where you're like, you know what? I want to play the demo. Or, you know what? Send me, send me uh, a, a, I'd like to see uh, the, the print and play. I'd like to see the, you know, your prototype. Because you're giving them enough salient information. I now have the theme. I have a general understanding of how the game might play and why people seem to really gravitate to it. What makes them stand up and say, oh, you need to see this game because. So uh, what other things make, make this critical? What makes this type of pitch powerful and effective? Uh, I'll, I'll jump in if that's, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, the important part of this is that, or in my experience, uh, as a retailer, I would get um, uh, people walking in, like uh, uh, designers walking in with their game, trying to sell direct uh, and explain their game, right? Um, and uh, I'm going to actually kind of uh, focus on the some of the cr the easy common mistakes that they made. Mm. Uh, and the first one was talking so fast because they were trying to fit in everything they possibly could, uh, uh, knowing that they're like, oh, no, I probably only have a minute of her time. Okay, I'm going to, okay, it is a uh, complex dice placement, worker placement game, you know, and just. Which, of course, um, I just did. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, but um, uh, remembering again that, it, again, leaving tension and room for questions is still important in your elevator pitch, right? Yeah. Um, pitches are dynamic uh, uh, where there is um, a give and take. And if you don't leave rooms, room for yourself to breathe, to leave slightly natural pauses in the conversation for people to yeah. ask questions, yeah. um, it's going to feel like you are um, uh, monologuing at someone and in real life, people don't like being monologued to that very much. Um, uh, so remembering that even your pitches are conversations where understanding uh, who you're talking to and, and paying attention to them uh, is still an important part of the pitch. That's super important, Melissa. Yeah, and so I did not, I did not reflect that in what I just did because I wasn't face-to-face -face with someone doing it. But you're absolutely right. That is that is so critical. It is a conversation. It's it's less of a it's a script in your head, but it's not an actual script that you're hitting every word. You are you're paraphrasing all of this and doing it naturally and taking your audience into account every time. Yeah, and I think um, for me personally, this is one of the hardest 
hardest things. This is the thing that I have to write down, um, prepare for, and understand how I'm going to go ahead and approach it and try to go through it a few times before I get in and talk it through. Now, in my history, I've mostly worked with one company um, throughout, throughout my time period as a designer. However, I still did this. I still put this together so I could give the core concept um, to the studio head and have them understand, hey, this is the game that I want to spend the next year, the next budget <laughs> of, of, uh, of our studio on. I want to go ahead and be building this forward. And these are all the core concepts, all the, the highlights, the things that are really going to elevate your game and really define what makes your game different than every other game out there. And why, why should it exist and why should it grab your attention? So trying to make sure that you're fitting all of that in within two to three paragraphs is really good. I like to think of this also like what would you put on the back of the box? In order, once you've already got the person, you already hooked them, they're flipping that box over. What would you put right there in order to really make sure that they, they are going to want to take this box home with them? Um, I guess all I have to add is if we're talking about role-playing games, now is the time you can talk about some mechanics. Not, not a lot, <laughs> a little, un, un poquito, a little yeah. bit. Not, not and, like a huge amount, but just some. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, I would, I would build on the back of the box. The back of the box is absolutely for consumers, but what I, if I'm talking to a retailer or if I'm talking to a, a publisher and pitching my game to a publisher, I want them to know what excites people about the game? I've seen this reaction. This is what people value. When they get up from my, from my demo table, this is what they're talking about. This is what gets them excited. And um, giving, giving people uh, that kind of information already starts, you know, in my mind, if I'm a publisher and someone's telling me that, I'm like, okay, so I'm actually getting a, a better idea of what you've built into this game that excites people and I can now market back out to people because you know, based on your design, what, it, what you built into it and what excites people. And so you're the best person to create the first run at marketing to tell people about those great things. Your first opportunity to do so is when you're pitching a publisher or a consumer or a retailer and telling them about those special things. And those things have to kind of resonate, even if they're not like, Necessarily, like the, the the two points I had in, in the previous conversation about the gender fluid dragons, things like that. That's not on the back of the box. Um, that's something that you know I have a conversation about, like why people spark to it, and I think those things are important too. Uh, yeah, one more thing I want to add, and this is more of a sneaky trick, mm. um, is that when you're doing an elevator pitch. Uh, and this is conditional, but specifically to retailers uh, and specifically to consumers, uh, the best thing to do is to give them the book or the box that you are trying to convince them to be interested in to hold and touch and look at while you are talking. People yes. uh, retain memory better when they're touching things. Um, it is just a psychological tool. Um, and they're also, instead of just focusing on what you're saying, um, there's a tension diffusion in having something else to also focus on um, because sometimes being pitched to the person who is receiving the pitch is also anxious about that. We're all anxious. We're all anxious <laughs> together. Yeah. Right. Um, and so uh, the best thing you can do is uh, like, if I were um, being a retailer selling to a consumer with a board game is I start, um, you know, I might give the hook showing them the front of the box and then they're like, oh, tell me more. And then if I'm going to go into a full elevator pitch, I'll flip it over, point to yeah. some things on the back of the box and then hand them the box with the back of the box facing them. Right. Like Absolutely. that. And while I'm doing the elevator pitch, um, giving yourself also something physical to do helps ground you, especially if you're anxious about pitches. I know I am. So, yeah, I do that at conventions too with physical products. So that that's a great, great build. Should we All right. talk for so, a moment about selling? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, so, and because we, we've got the the audiences coming, so um, yeah. but so this one I'm not going to take much time on. Um, the uh, the tagline is is a an ad slogan that kind of distills your game into a single creative expression. So the one about um, uh, Dead of Winter was was perfect. Um, you know, here. Whoops. 
Here are a couple others, you know, um, they are the creative essence of your game. Um, I like to put one of these on, uh, on every box cover. I'll leave the top of a sell sheet with it. Um, all of these are just there to be like the, the creative impetus that says, oh, neat. It's, it's essentially your hook, but this is the creative execution of your hook. So that's something you can work on as well. And I'm not gonna take too much time uh, on this. I'm going right into the, the next actual pitch. Um, a sales pitch. So eventually you're gonna be trying to sell your game to a professional in the industry. Now that could be a retailer, a publisher, a distributor, what have you. Um, all of these pitches are gonna build off what you've already started to build. Um, it's gonna do so in a little bit more of a formal way. Um, this is the kind of a core of what needs to go on your sell sheet. And it's gonna include really specific information on the saleable benefits and features. Um, the audience kind of has to imagine themselves eventually selling the game themselves based on what you put there. So you are the best person to help inform that. Um, this is a sell sheet for Cinder. I will not read the entire thing, but I will tell you that I've restructured a lot of the language here so that it sounds more like a sell sheet um, and includes bullet points now. Like, you know, I'm putting the time, um, I'm again talking to you about like, well, this is, it's a lighthearted send up of Tinder. Uh, it has important things over there, like, you know, the SKU and uh, the price. Now that's, that's once you actually are, you know, selling a game. So, but sometimes even having like an idea of like what, how many components are in there um, can, can help on a sell sheet. But if it's just an, a, a, a regular pitch to uh, to publisher, you may not need that. But I tell you what, the, one of the most important things to make sure you put on your sell sheet and other materials, get your name, your address, your contact information has to be on there. So many sell, sell sheets I see, forget this very important point. Don't do that. <laughs> um, so everything on a sell sheet is really critical. Um, what can you not afford to miss in your sales pitch? Price. <laughs> Yes. Well, so that's what that's what you have it to sell. Yes. Um, but um, but if if you're a designer uh, pitching to a, a publisher, say, although yeah, to a retailer, you absolutely need the price. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's um, one thing that's really easily uh, easy to be confused about is that there are two different sell sheets, and they don't differentiate names. They're just called sell sheets, yeah. and one is a sell sheet that a designer sends to a publisher. Right. And another sell sheet is the one that the publisher sends to a retailer or distributor, and yeah, they should yeah. not have the same information on them at all. No, not even. Yeah, well said. So, yeah. And the, the one I showed was definitely to, uh, to retailer and distributor. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, you know, and, and then when, when you get, um, you know, to it's a retailer sell sheet, um, you know, make sure the UPC is there. Um, make sure the case pack is there, the size, um, where it's made, like all the stuff that they need to know um, for their POS systems. When you're pitching um, to a publisher, you just want to make sure all the juice of the game, all the things that they're going to care about in terms of, can I, first of all, does this fit my line? And two, does it fit my current like you know what are what are the kind of mechanics that we're talking about give me a feel for that for the game and the experience all the kind of stuff you've already been you know uh putting into those previous pitches you're now making just a little bit more formalized yeah and this is where it's really important to really know who you're pitching to um especially if you're designer pitching to a publisher understand what that publisher has done before understand what they're trying to publish a lot of publishers actually talk about like their core values um mm -hmm. what they're trying to put out there into the world really have a clear understanding of does my game fit into what this publisher represents and what they want to continue putting out there in the world um, and I think like doing that research beforehand is going to save you a lot of heartache <laughs> yeah. for sure. Uh, could we touch more on the subject of selling to retailers and, and distributors for a moment? Yeah. In fact, um, we have like a whole slide, uh, on different audiences coming up. Okay. Well, I'll wait. Do it there or here? No, let's do okay. it there. Do it there. That's um, logical. Yeah. All right. So, uh, two, two seconds on the demo. 
Um, there are different types of demos. Um, they are, in fact, pitches your demos. They usually um, lead with um, you know all the things we we already talked about as people get closer and closer to trying your game. And yes, you should stack the deck, have examples ready, um, know how much you need to say before they need to before they play, and how much you can cover during play. Um, eventually, by doing this enough, it will feel like you've already prepared a script. Um, and so, uh, oops. Oh, it doesn't. It doesn't like to advance. Um, in fact, sometimes I even actually put together a a retailer quick demo script. But some some of your demos are going to be overview style demos. Uh, like like if a retailer is going to do a demo, they're probably not going to play the game through. But this allows them to put set the game out and basically walk you through by pointing to the pieces, and it tells you what to point to and what to have set up. Um, so they can do a great overview, just like I would do an overview at a convention. Um, but um, I don't know, do we have any good advice for a successful demo, both for retail and for live demos that you actually play through? J Jason, I'll let you go first. OK, so demos are incredibly difficult to do with role playing and storytelling games mm, yes. <laughs> uh, to the point where we, we tend to work with organizations like Games on Demand. Uh, and we let them do all that. We just sort of send people back and forth to one another. Um, but there are some storytelling games that that lend themselves well to booth demos. I found Alex Roberts for the Queen mm -hmm. worked remarkably well demoing in booths. So uh, if you have one of those sort of storytelling games that has the necessary mechanics to be played in say five minutes, uh, hers does because you have sort of a sort of a card you can insert somewhere in the deck that it, that ends the story part way down. Uh, if you can demo a storytelling game quickly, it's worthwhile. Otherwise, don't try. And definitely don't try with a traditional role-playing game in any yeah. way. Um, one thing I think is really important is that for me, there's, there's two very different styles of demos. The first style yeah. is an on-the-fly demo, right? Where you might yeah. um, go from a pitch and transition into a demo. Um, and that is one style and method. And then there's also planned demos. Uh, where they might be scheduled, um, uh, and uh, right. people know they're specifically coming um, uh, to try the game. Um, yeah. And uh, one thing that is uh, important for both of those is never feel the need to start at the beginning of the game. Mm -hmm. If there oh, is yeah. a particular mechanic, yeah. yes. if there is a particular <laughs> like feeling that's that's good, you just just jump to it. Um, yeah. Yeah, in fact, yeah. playing a full game is usually not what a demo should be. Um, it you're giving them the, like a best slice, your best foot forward of this game, and l then if they're interested, they're they're already they're already ready to, to to pick it up. So you pitch just as much as you know when people are like when you see that the the light in their eyes go off and say, "Oh my God, I know exactly who I played this with." Your demo is done. <laughs> Yeah, only take them through the absolute essential parts of the game that are going to give them a complete understanding of what am I going to feel when I'm playing this. Yeah. Um, you don't have to go down through every... As someone who's demoed a lot of very complicated games, <laughs> um, you definitely want to go ahead and try to... I really like what you said um, about stacking the deck, um, making sure that like everything is set up in a way that they're going to go ahead and be able to jump right into it, understand it quickly and be able to come out of it wanting more. You don't want to overwhelm them with so much that it's like, okay, I don't ever want to experience this again. It was so much. Um, you want yeah. to go ahead and get them going. So they're always wanting a little bit more. Well, I just realized that we have, that we have a two hour presentation is what we have. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we're going to have to start flying through. All right. So, Pitching to uh, to play testers, um, obviously they're often future consumers, but right now, you know they're here to work. So your your pitch is going to you know uh, change a little bit. Um, here they want a pressure test. They want to help break the game. Um, so your goals a little different, and so are so are theirs. Um, 
But um, this is where you're going to actually workshop and develop your pitch. So you're going to let them know where you are in the design, what you're testing. You're going to provide the current overview of the game, including the hook in your elevator pitch. Um, you're going to observe what phrases get people excited or smiling and what falls flat. You're going to tweak the pitch from session to session, looking for consistent reactions. And by the time your design is done, you're going to find that your pitch is going to be already thought through and perfected. And it's going to have all the marketing hooks that make it stand out because you've been looking for those, you've been observing and fine tuning them. Um, it's also going to start developing the script and flow of your demos. So any other thoughts on, on this? I think you were pretty succinct. Okay, yeah. cool. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so pitching to consumers then. All right, so yes, these are gamers. They're people who want to pledge, they want to buy, and they could even be reviewers or content creators. And they actually want to know quickly if it's a good match for them, and if so, they want to know everything about it. So again, that hook, we talked about this before, that makes them pause. What has them stop long enough to find out more? An app can pitch. Now they're going to stop. They ask the game, what, what is this game about? Now you've got, you've, they've given you permission to give them a little bit more. Um, it could also be a description in the event slot, you know, a napkin pitch. You know, you can think about it like that too. The goal, get them to try a demo or find out more. The elevator pitch, that's the paragraph highlighting the theme and compelling hook of the game. Imagine the person who said yes to the demo has waved their friends over. Now your description can be fuller and often leads directly into the demo. So we already just talked about the demo, but um, if, you, if you can show in a few turns uh, what the game is really about, where the excitement lies, you just made that sale. Um, are there any other specific modes of presenting to consumers or advice? I mean, I mean, there are probably intro videos to Kickstarters and other things too. Yeah, I think this is where, um, you know, doing the work on art direction and the box cover as yeah. well. <laughs> Yes. It really oh, plays yeah. super, super well, um, because that in itself is also a pitch. So if you're lucky enough to have um, some control over that uh, moving forward, make sure that it's something that is going to also evoke the feeling of the game. I've done a lot of art directions instead of Winter On for a lot of the Plat Hat Games products. Um, and you want to have the feeling encapsulated in the art as well as what you're going to experience in the box and also give the sense of adventure, the sense of the sense of um, the kind of uh, theme that you're trying to bring across as well that is going to capture people's eye because that, that has so much in the past has worked super well at just like stopping people in, the, <laughs> in the convention hall, grabbing the box. And that's where it, that's where you really start with a lot of getting them to actually sit down and play the demo. Yeah. Um, one thing that I feel that when you're selling directly to consumers, you have to think about um, there's two different um, methodologies I use. One is if I'm selling one specific product. So if I'm being a sales rep for a, a, a game company that is looking to push one product at a con, completely different methodology than if I am uh, have my retail shop and I have, um, you know, 30 different SKUs of different games yeah. uh, that I could push, right? Um, and so I'm going to speak for, for those of you who are publishers or designers with multiple games or other retailers. Um, the best thing to do is if you see someone, you know, like the, you've caught their eye, you know, you've given the hook and they are blank or neutral, but not leaving. Right? Yeah, move on. Right. Uh, no, no. Oh, no. <laughs> if they're blank? Okay. If they're blank or neutral, but not moving on. Okay. That's when I go, yeah, I really like, if it was Cinder, right? Like, I really love, um, you know, weirdo, romantic, uh, 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 push your luck games. Do you like games like that? Right. Um, ask them a question. Ah, uh, I see. Uh, 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 and if they're like, you know what? No, I'm actually really looking for cooperative storytelling games. You can be like, ah, well, have you heard about Before There Were Stars? Right? I'm just picking on Spark and Dagger right now. Um, yeah. uh, <laughs> right? Uh, um, if you have a portfolio of products and you know that your most recent release is the one that you're pushing, 
if you're if the person who you're talking to is not sparked about that but they're not leaving find out what sparks them right yeah. they're people and if they're gamers they probably want games they're probably yeah. interested in games right <laughs> and um a lot of gamers once they start talking about the things that they like it's really easy to be like oh so you like this have you seen this and once right. it becomes a conversation um it is so much easier to feel out how to how to reel them in uh and how to give them what they actually want that's great and i think that that's that's true of uh pitching to publishers if you've got a couple things in your bag too yeah I would add in a booth situation where you have a lot of products in the booth, we have we have kind of a theory at IPR of, of booth presentation we call the coral reef, which is, you know, it's colorful. It has lots of things. The fish sort of come in and look around. Um, if somebody if you ask somebody if they have any questions and they say no, let them be. Don't don't yeah. get in the way of them selling themselves on what you have in the booth. A lot of the times they will at a convention. They're, they're there to buy things. So never get in the way of the customer selling themselves on your game, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, great. Um, so this is probably the section that we should have spent the lion's share of our time on pitching to publishers. <laughs> um, so the audience, yeah, these are game company owners, marketing people, development teams. Um, the thing to know is that their time, like retailers' time, is extremely limited, and they have a very strong understanding of games and mechanics already. So you want to use the time wisely. You want to focus tightly on what matters uh, the most to them. Uh, we mentioned this before. Understanding their line and pitching to the right publisher is important. Or even if it seems outside, at least couch it in why they may want to step outside of their historic line to consider your game. Um, understand that they will need it to stand out in the marketplace and excite gamers enough for them to buy it. So if you haven't seen proof of at least one player per playtest telling you, oh my God, when is this coming out? Like without you saying, would you buy this game? It may not be ready to pitch a pub uh, publisher yet. Um, and you're going to see that you're going to need the same short, mid, and long form pitches. Um, but um, you are going to really angle all of that on um, the compelling reasons that you've observed players, uh, you know, wanting to buy that game. So, guys, what makes us stand up and take notice when a pitch is done right? If I may, please. Uh, I, I would explain to a publisher why it's going to be easy uh, for them to manufacture and sell the game that you're trying to sell them. Like, why will this mm -hmm. be not a hard thing to do? You will sell a lot of it, and it's not going to be that hard for you to produce. Uh, on the opposite end of the spectrum, like, I couldn't imagine pitching Invisible Sun to someone. I mean... <laughs> that, that you know what I mean? Uh, it needs to be something that the publisher can look at and say, "Oh yeah, I could get this manufactured, and I think I could sell a lot of these and help them along with that, like help them on that 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 uh, that train of thought." Mm -hmm. I would add, also add here that when you're pitching a product, also really understand how you're pitching yourself in the moment, mm. because um, when when you are entering into an agreement with a publisher, it's almost like a marriage. They're going to be dealing with you for about a year, a year and a half at minimum. So you want to yeah. make sure that you're enjoyable to deal with in that moment. You're presenting yourself in a way that's professional. You're presenting yourself in a way that they can see bringing you to shows, having you show off their product because they want to go ahead and also work with designers that are going to be pleasant to work with and pleasant to present for their brand as well, because you're going to be invited likely to videos and lots of, uh, lots of other marketing opportunities that they're going to go ahead and push you in front of. So they want to make sure that they're working with a good team. Yeah. Now I think it's important to say, like if, if you see them at a, at a show, um, It'd be, it's far better to schedule an appointment to yeah. actually pitch a publisher. <laughs> um, but let's say you haven't and you just, you know, you, you want to just like, you know, get them to, to, to make that appointment with you. That's where your hook or your napkin pitch will come in handy. They don't have two minutes maybe even for you. But if you can in 30 seconds say, hey, here's what I'm doing. 
And they're like, you know, that sounds interesting. Okay, let's set up a time. Like, these are the tools that you'll need to be professional, to, um, to say, yeah, I understand you don't have time right now, but you really should pay attention. This is awesome. You're going to love it. And if you can do that in 30 seconds, there you go. You've already, you know, you're, you're, you're perceived as professional, respectful, easy to work with. And, you know, yeah, you're, you just ramped up your, your options to, to be able to pitch uh, the whole game. And I will also add to that, make sure you have something to give them. Oh, yeah. Interested in any way, either a business card so they can contact you later, um, a sheet that explains your game um, or uh, and this is like if they love your game, maybe even being a prepared demo that you can give them and they can take back to their studio and show it to the rest of their team. So that, right. that way they can play and get more information because it's, it's very unlikely if you're at a show, they're going to sign you right there. <laughs> That's not going to, it will happen not way happen. after. <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> so make sure you have something that they can take back to their team and uh, discuss after the fact and be able to communicate with you afterwards. Yeah. Okay. Um, Anything else on this, or should we talk about pitching to retailers? There are a couple of questions from the audience. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, so one was a little bit further back, but I still think is appropriate. Um, uh, we said that uh, we have to read body language. Um, uh, MNGWA asked, what kind of body language should you look for um, from people? So I don't I would say I eye know. contact. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, um, eye contact. It, it, they're gonna be they're gonna be reacting with their face, even if they're not saying anything. So um, yeah. most most humans have an understanding whether or not they're engaged. If they're they are looking away, or if they're looking at another product on the table, maybe get them engaged in that product instead of the one you're talking about. Um, that's body as far as body language. That's what I would suggest. I, I agree. I, I think what you're really looking for is you are looking for the moment where their eyes glaze over or their attention shifts mm -hmm. and they've signaled that this is maybe not really for me. And then you can just kind of quickly wrap your sentence and say, you know, if if they've wandered to another product, thing, that's a good point. You can start talking about that. Um, but um, yeah, it's 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 more it's more knowing when they're not engaged. Uh, optimal social distance based on the individual. So yes. some people will want to come right into your body space, and this is important mm -hmm. to them. This is like an intimate conversation about something that's important to them. Some people want to have that conversation two, three feet away from you, right? They don't yeah. want to be particularly close. So don't ever like try to roll with that, figure out for each individual what that optimal space is, and, and don't don't like accidentally violate it by getting too close if they seem like somebody that's more comfortable discussing something, at a, you know, like farther away. Yeah. Hard to do in a convention sometimes <laughs> in a 10 by 10 booth, but, you know, yeah. got to do your best. Um, the uh, uh, one thing I just want to bring up is that um, uh, these common indicators of interest and in, in body language. So shoulder position, eye contact. Um, distance uh, engagement. Um, if you're dealing, uh, if you're working with someone who's neuroatypical, or if like me, you're also neuroatypical, uh, all those indicators can go fly right out the window. Um, yeah. So you might have someone who, um, as soon as you start talking, starts fiddling on their phone or starts playing with something or not paying attention. Um, and it, that might be an indicator that they would like you to stop talking. Uh, or, but it might also be an indicator that there's someone that, that doesn't do eye contact that do, that mm -hmm. cannot that doesn't engage in that way um, and they're not any less valid of a customer i find that like in everything else consent is great uh doing a check-in um yeah uh being like oh, do you want to hear more uh uh or do you want to hear more or should i just let you keep browsing um and most people will say oh, no, no no keep talking to me or be like yeah no let me browse right um uh That's consent is always great yeah, that's a really great point. Yeah. Um, a second question from the group um, uh, uh, from Creationsby asks, uh, how do you know that your game is good enough for a pitch to a company? My personal barometer is, um, again, I, 
when when I demo a game with with a group of people that I don't know, they have no relationship to me, mm-hmm. and I consistently have at least one person at the table spontaneously say, "When is this coming out? How can I get this? Can I buy that prototype? Uh, are are you kickstarting anything that says I have an intent to buy?" that tells me the game is very close to being ready and certainly ready to pitch a publisher. If you are not getting enough people saying that, it's probably not ready. I agree completely, Kurt. Yeah, Yeah, what Kurt said. Unless you have friends that are just brutally honest, get out and play it with a lot of other people. Yeah. Um, All right, why don't we, uh, um, I think there was a couple other slides that might have some points we want to touch on. Okay, great. Hopefully audience will have more questions, we'll see. Okay, so pitching to retailers. Uh, These are store owners. Uh, There's also buyers and other staffers. Uh, Again, their time is limited as well. They also have a very strong understanding of games, the marketplace and their particular patrons. So you wanna use their time wisely. Uh, focus tightly on what matters most to them. But I think what Melissa said earlier that, you know, understanding this is a conversation, it is a little give and take, you know, but be just mindful of their time is really more the point. Um, and quite honestly, you know, how you pitch will really determine whether you've earned the right to their shelf space and their investment in your game. And I think it's important to know that those are things you earn. They're not just given to everybody. And so um, so you need all the hard data, the game's audience, age range, player count, price, you know, all the things that kind of go on that sell sheet. But you also want to understand, like, you know, give them a feeling for why it's going to stand out in the category of the, of the games that it belongs to. Um, I think it's nice to have some critical acclaim based on, you know, you know what people are saying about your game. Um, it's really important to have a sell sheet, um, an overview demo script I, I like to have for them, um, and really marketing points. What are you doing in the marketplace to cause buzz, to increase sales demand? And what are the materials you're providing retailers as tools, both in-store and digitally? So guys, uh, what else do we value in a pitch to a retailer and what should we avoid? If I may. Uh, so in my experience, the retailers don't want to know as much. They don't want to know more than the napkin pitch most of the time. They don't, they don't want in-depth information. They want to know how to sell it, that they can sell it, and how many they can sell. Um, mm-hmm. And the same thing is true on a larger scale for distributors. That, now, a good retailer and a good distributor can really literally look at a, at, a, at a napkin pitch and go, okay, they already know what they need to know. They can look at the product. They can look at the, at the brief pitch. They can look at the price. They'll know how many units they can move or whether they can move them. Uh, but right. that's what they want to know. It's far more basic and less, uh, far more, you know, business oriented, frankly, when you're, when you're dealing with a retailer or a distributor, uh, just due to the nature yeah. of what they do. Um, there is more and more uh, publishers that are looking to have direct relationships with retailers. Um, and especially small publishers and indie publishers, because uh, uh, distribution can only max out, cannot have everyone. Um, and so uh, if you are specifically an indie publisher looking to get your game into stores, um, understanding that one of the first questions uh, that um, uh, a retailer is going to ask is, uh, is your game in distribution? Uh, mm-hmm. And when you say no, it's the, the, their interest is going to go way, way down. Um, being able to say, uh, uh, you know, I'm I'm talking to some distributors, but I have uh, a thousand units pre-sold and pre like pre-ordered already, um, and we uh, we've allocated another 500 units uh, for retailers. Uh, we have pretty solid interest in this as a, as a new game, um, and uh, I'm happy to. Um, uh, if, if it's local, like I'm happy to uh, do a preliminary order on um, on consignment to test to see if your audience is going to like this, right? Yeah. Uh, understanding that, like, what was it in 2019? There were I, or 2018, there was like 8,000 new board games that new were published. Games. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, yeah. as a retailer, if you are a mid-size or average retailer, um, you might bring 300 to 500 new titles in for just board games a year right yeah. um 
so that is, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a small fraction. So you're you're competing with a proliferation of amazing games. Um, mm-hmm. I'm always going to try to bring in amazing games. You're going to think your game is amazing. You're really selling me why I am, uh, why that game should be on my shelf instead of something that's more reliable that I might have better sales terms on. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of pressure. Uh, brick and mortar retailers tend to be regionally sympathetic. So, for example, if you live in, if you're a, uh, a self published board game publisher and you live in Sacramento, California, the retailers in Sacramento, California are going to be a lot more sympathetic to you than, say, a retailer in Las Vegas. So there is that that thing you can do to your advantage. Also, because they know if, if you are in their area, you can come to their store and play it with people. So you can also work that angle if you're trying to sell not through distribution as a self-published uh, you know, game publisher. All, All right. right, guys. Like Go ahead. Sorry, it looks like we're wrapping up. Um, uh, why don't everyone uh, uh, just quick say um, uh, where people can find you? Uh, Smirkandagger.com or on Facebook at Smirkandagger. Uh, you can find me at Isaac's Ashes. Uh, I'm sorry, it changed that. Isaac on Earth on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can find me at IndiePressRevolution.com. All right. Great. Thanks, everyone. I think that's a wrap. All right. Thank you, everyone.